Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Going from 70 degrees on Thursday to possibly snow on Sunday. It's that time of the year where the weather is changeable and we have to deal with it. It's today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. Thursday proved itself to be another news day and we got lots to talk about. You all set for the weekend? Raking leaves. Absolutely. <laughs> Laura, will you be sitting on the sidelines while snow might fall on Sunday? No, I have a two hockey games on Saturday and an all-day swim meet indoors on Sunday. So it can do whatever it wants outside. I will be <laughs> safe inside. All right. Well, stay warm and dry. Let's start. So what is the real reason that Robert Triazzi abruptly resigned in 2019 as Cuyahoga County Executive Armin Budish's law director? Leila Tassi We knew all this back then. We just couldn't report it because there was no document that would say it and no mm -hmm. one would talk on the record. But now it, now we know, now we can say for sure what happened here. So, yes. Layla, what happened here? <laughs> so when, when Bob Triazzi resigned in January 2019 from, from his post, uh, he, he said that it was because he had an opportunity to work on a special project with Cleveland State University that focuses on criminal justice reform. Okay, well, as it turns out, there was a whole lot more to that story. Corey Schaefer reports that Triazzi signed a non-prosecution agreement on January 3rd, 2019, in which he agreed to step down, and the county prosecutor's office agreed not to pursue criminal charges against him over his failure to properly oversee portions of the county's disastrous IT overhaul, which is known as the ERP project. Triazzi isn't he's not accused of any crimes he didn't and he didn't admit any criminal wrongdoing but here's what he did Triazzi allowed former assistant law director and IT lawyer Emily McNeely to work on the ERP project after she told him that a company that had submitted a bid on a contract for the project had been accused of bribing her father several years earlier on a project in Pennsylvania and Triazzi also allowed her to work on another IT project for which the county had awarded a contract to Highland Software and McNeely's wife worked in a government relations role at Highland Software and owned stock in the company. So none of these potential conflicts were disclosed to county council while they were debating which companies to choose for the projects. And, you know, prosecutors acknowledged that there was no evidence to suggest that Triazzi was acting with malice or intent to harm. 
And Triazi said he would not have let McNeely continue in her role had he known of her conflicts earlier in the process. The, the records note that he was cooperative with investigators. So in exchange for his resignation, they agreed not to pursue any future charges related to it. And McNeely, you know, if r- listeners might remember, she resigned while under investigation for her role in the ERP project. She was later indicted on multiple felony charges. She pleaded guilty to obstructing official business, among other things, and, and was sentenced in October 2022, a year of probation. And she's since completed that. And her attorney has filed a motion to expunge the conviction. I I, I expect we'll eventually get a right to be forgotten request from her in a year or two. But, and you we'll know. reject it because she's a <laughs> public servant and we don't consider it. Hey, look, there's a couple of things to, to mention here. That ERP project is continuing to be a boondoggle. It's one of the biggest failures of the Buddhist administration. And that's saying something. And it's he started this <laughs> upon coming in almost eight years ago now, seven years ago. It, the cost overruns the have cost been ridiculous. There was right. this kind of corrupt nonsense going on with it. And he has been completely incapable of bringing it together to this day. I mean, it, it comes up. I mean, we I'm sure we'll have a story again soon saying the cost is going up. They don't know when it's right. going to be done. It's been a nightmare. And, but the I second know, thing we should yeah, point out is that Robert Chazzy gave mm-hmm. terrible mm-hmm. advice. I mean, right. I remember sitting with him in an editorial board meeting where Armin Budish was justifying his illegal providing of overtime pay to salaried workers saying, you know, I have the power to override the charter because or to override the employee handbook because there's a sentence in the charter that basically makes me king. He didn't say those words, but that was basically his argument. And Triazi sitting there saying, yes, this clause allows him to do what he thinks is in the best interest of the county and all other things are aside. Of course, that was completely false. We posted a the recording of that meeting online because it's actually fairly entertaining. <laughs> They're so out of their minds with power and we're questioning them in fun fashion like, you can't do this. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. So he, he gave terrible advice. But I got to tell you, Leila, I'm conflicted on this one. To, to go at him and say, we're going to charge you with a crime. He didn't commit a crime. He was incompetent. Incompetence is yeah. not a crime. And, and But then, if you've got the goods, charge him. But to, to, to use your power as a prosecutor to compel somebody to resign, not be honest with the public about it, with the threat of prosecution, it's not fair. I don't believe Triazi believes he committed a crime. I believe he stepped down because he probably feared a f- the, the cost of fighting the trial and what it would do to his name. But man, that just seems like an abuse of prosecutorial power to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's always the game that that uh, you know law enforcement and prosecutors play, isn't it? I mean, that's that's pretty par for the course. But yeah, I agree. To with resign? That... To resign? I don't remember. And not once no, I in mean, the like, county corruption you know, case did they do that? Threatening, threatening prosecution, even even if uh, you your your you know actions didn't don't rise to the level of criminality. That, that's always the game they play, squeezing people to ha- get them to cooperate. Um, I mean, the resignation, yeah, that's that's maybe a, a bridge too far. To, but they, To cooperate. He, but I've never seen before a prosecutor say to a public official, we got the goods on you, we won't charge you if you resign. That's meddling with county government. That, 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 it's up to Armin Budish whether he wants to ask his law director to resign. The county prosecutor's job is to seek justice. If Robert Triazi broke the law, charge him. 
Mm -hmm. Or if you don't feel it rises to the level worth charging, don't charge him. But to then use your heavy hand to say, if you quit, we won't charge you. I, I don't know. I th that this is this is a problem. I've not seen it before, and I, I don't think people should be comfortable with it. Yeah, there there is there are a lot of ethical questions uh, baked into that. Triazzi also says though that the opportunity with CSU was lingering for him, but you know that that was yeah, in blah, the works blah, blah, before. Blah. <laughs> Well, you know, that's, that's that's not that's not true. We now know he didn't leave to take that other job. He left because he was told you're going to be charged with a crime if you don't. It was an abrupt resignation. That's the story they peddled to us back then. And now, two and a half years later, we know the truth. We should point out that this look at the legacy of Armin Budish. His law director was going to be charged with a crime. His previous chief of staff quit. Uh, after ma after making the deal not to get prosecuted by cooperating, his jail director is sitting in a jail cell for nine months. His former HR director pleaded guilty to falsifying documents. I mean, Armin Budish may have the worst sense of hiring we've seen. Right, these, right. These were, and remember, when he came in, he goes, look, I'm going to pay people a lot of money. But I'm getting the very best people. And it's like, really? I mean, if you read the story we published today, there's a bunch more that left under a cloud. He's he's had the worst run of hiring, and these people made a lot of money. That's right. That's right. I mean, for as far as Triazzi goes, though, how you got to believe that he was unhappy working there. <laughs> so if he had another opportunity and he was getting squeezed by investigators, that was probably a good time to make his exit anyway. Don't you think? I mean, do you think he would have wanted to continue working under the Buddhist administration in light of everything that had, had happened? I mean, I know, I know, but but they said he's leaving to take this opportunity. The records make clear he left because it was a deal he made to not get charged sure. with a crime. And that, 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 that means that everybody in this was dishonest with us. Buddhist, Triazi, everybody in the county told a fib when he left. And now the truth comes out, courtesy of Corey Schaefer's diligent reporting. I salute Corey, and people ought to think about this next year. Armin Budish is out there seeking support and endorsements because he wants to run again, despite his litany of bad decisions. You know, this is evidence of the latest. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We talked with Seth Richardson Wednesday about how Ohio Democrats are so disorganized that they don't seem able to get out their message in elections. So what is a group of veteran Democratic strategists doing about that? Lisa, I'd like to think they listened to this podcast and said, we've got to do something about that. But this has been in the works for a while. It has. They are creating, there's a, four, a group of four men who most of them have connections to former Governor Richard Celeste, but they're creating a super PAC called Bring Ohio Back. And basically, they're going to take the gloves off and really kind of fight like the Republicans do and like bring up the scandals that have, you know, that have rocked, you know, the GOP state house here and, and, and elsewhere. So the four men, Jeff Rosneck, he's a principal of the, our strategy group. He worked many campaigns and worked to reelect uh, Governor Celeste back in 1986. Jerry Austin, 
also ran the Celeste campaigns and won for Jesse Jackson when he tried to run for president in 88. Jim Ruvalo, the former executive and chair of the Ohio Democratic Party and vice chair of the Democratic National Committee. And David Millenthal of the Millenthal Group. He's a political advertiser and he handled former Governor Celeste Media. They want to fix the lack of Democratic messaging. They, they say that, you know, Democratic politicians keep hiring the same consultants every year. They don't get any results at all. And they're they're kind of pussyfooting around the real issues. They really, and they were kind of inspired by the GOP Lincoln Project, which really went after uh, Donald Trump and the and his aiders and abettors. So they're they're going to start with like a social media campaign. They've got a video that's going to talk a lot about the. House Bill 6 scandal, the electronic classroom of tomorrow scandal, and just, you know, bring these things up and say, this is what your GOP party did and and helped to happen. They're not planning any candidate endorsements, at least not at this time. But yeah, they just, they didn't want, they got tired of sitting on the sidelines and seeing just these ineffective campaigns for Democratic uh, politicians and wanted to change that story. Well, we talked... Wednesday about the ammunition that they have. I mean, mm-hmm. think about the Pat DeWine thing where he refuses to recuse himself from a case involving his father. A- anybody can see that's a problem. And if you message that correctly, people are aghast. It's what what can this guy be thinking? It's they're drunk with power. And the HB6, I mean, the, to this day, Mike DeWine, John Houston have done nothing to curb First Energy and the abuses that are involved there. The the PUCO continues to operate the way it had before and it hasn't been cleaned out and it hasn't they haven't said, my God, this is a disaster what happened here. We've got to put in guardrails. They just keep looking the other way, thinking it will go away. If somebody messaged that correctly with the big public relations campaign, that's going to be effective because right. it's the biggest criminality we've seen in the in the state house ever. So it's it's interesting to see how they that they're doing it. I wonder if they'll do it effectively if they're smart enough to to use it right. Hopefully, we'll see. I mean, this video should be coming out pretty soon. Their target audience, they're not really preaching to the democratic choir. They really are focusing on soft democratic voters, frustrated republicans and moderate independents hoping to bring more people into the fold to vote democratic next time. The Republicans are so much better than this. I mean, they they take fiction. I mean, the, the Republicans keep trying to peddle that Jennifer Bruner, another Supreme Court justice, has a conflict on the gerrymandering case, which is preposterous. She doesn't because they're trying to deflect from Pat DeWine. But but they're more effective in messaging, even though they don't have anything to message. The Democrats have stuff. They've got an arsenal. They just, for years now, have not known how to use it. We'll have to see if these guys are any good at it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What does Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan have to say about his relationship with Donald Trump in his new book? Laura, Jim Jordan is fascinating to people all across America, including people who listen to this podcast. What's he say? Yeah, I'm going to chalk this up to one of those things reporters do so you don't have to. Speed reader Sabrina Eaton gave us the highlights from this book, which is called Do What You Said You Would Do, Fighting for Freedom in the Swamp. This memoir comes out November 23rd, uh, 256 pages, and it is not an unvarnished biography. Obviously, it's a memoir. It doesn't delve deep into the Ohio State wrestling sexual assault scandal or the Capitol uprising. Instead, it kind of reads like <laughs> what an a ex- shock. What? I know, right? 
they, they, he doesn't mention them, but basically to say it wasn't his fault. Um, this reads like an extended version of the speeches he delivers on, in Congress and on, on TV. And what's really interesting is he learned to use cable news to get in good with the president. He started at the beginning of his House Freedom Caucus as a backbencher who hung out in the back of the House of Representatives representatives chamber away from party leaders but he soon realized that if he spoke on cnn or you know fox news that trump would watch and he invited him to the white house and he became so into his inner circle that he received the presidential medal of freedom so you're saying that this book isn't riveting prose and that it's better to just read the highlights? <laughs> I'm fine with reading the highlights. I do not plan to you know, add this to my reading list. Um, <laughs> but Sabrina, Sabrina did a great job recapping it. And she read John Boehner's book, if you remember her story on that. So um, Jordan... That was actually interesting, though. I mean, that guy knows <laughs> how to Sabrina. tell a story. <laughs> you yeah, should get hazard pay for having to read all these garbage <laughs> memoirs. <laughs> But, um, but the thing is, Jordan rails against Boehner and Paul Ryan. He like has more than four times, I think, the mentions for those two that he does a Nancy Pelosi. And basically, he's blaming them. He's saying they, they veered from what they promised voters. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if you want to get inside Jim Jordan's head or actually you just really enjoy his speeches, because I don't think you're going to really get inside this guy's head. If you got inside his head, you would feel like you are on a ride at Disney World. <laughs> You're but it's not maybe a to today fun, in Ohio. Not it's a small world. <laughs> what are rail advocates doing to make sure Ohio gets in on the big plans for Amtrak and the new infrastructure bill Congress just passed? Well, we've talked about all of the people that want to boost rail in Ohio. Uh, we've missed some opportunities. John Kasich turned down free money for mm -hmm. it at one point. So clearly the people that advocate for rail are twice bitten. They've been they've been rejected in their efforts. So they don't want to waste any time here. No, no. There's there's sixty six billion dollars in rail funding included in the one point two trillion dollar infrastructure bill that Congress passed last week. The funding includes money to expand Amtrak's national network into areas that are currently underserved by passenger rail service, and that includes Ohio. So naturally, the Ohio rail advocates want the state to get a piece of that. Earlier this year, Am Amtrak released a plan for expanded service in the state, and it included a new route linking Cleveland, Columbus, Dayton, and Cincinnati. And it, it also outlined additional service along the Lake Erie shore from Buffalo to Cleveland and Cleveland to Detroit and Chicago. But those plans really didn't seem feasible before. This carve-out in the infrastructure bill certainly changes things. The advocates are now calling on Governor Mike DeWine to pursue the funding. Reporters asked DeWine how he plans to play this, and his spokesperson said it's too early to say anything about it, you know, blah, blah, blah. But a spokeswoman for the Ohio Rail Development Commission, which is part of the Ohio Department of Transportation, said they're still early in the process, but they look forward to pursuing additional federal funding to invest in rail development. So there was a little bit of a clue that they will go after the money. But, you know, the, the CEO of Amtrak indicated in a recent interview that Ohio is a contender for this investment. And Amtrak says there will likely be some kind of competitive system to determine who get who gets funded. But, you know, I don't know. We've asked this question every time this topic has come up on the podcast. How, how do we know that there is a consumer demand for this service in Ohio? I mean, forgive me if I missed it, but has any... Any of these agencies released a legitimate study suggesting that Ohioans are clamoring for rail service between Cleveland and Columbus? 
No, we haven't seen it. I mean, everybody speculates and everybody says, oh, I would love that because the drive is awful. But you're right. The demand is what tells. And I, you, you kind of think if the demand were there, wouldn't we already have it? So I, it's the chicken and the egg. But I, I do question whether we've missed our chance for real rail travel in America that they have in Europe. I mean, and that uh, self-driving vehicles are probably more in the future. Ri- riding rail. by rail sounds really fun and far more comfortable than either flying or sitting behind a steering wheel. But once you get to your city, you have no transportation within that city. <laughs> you're you're either using Uber or renting a car to get around because none of Ohio's major cities has a functional public transportation system or a subway. It seems that drains the value right out of taking the train. So without a robust public transportation system within each of these metropolitan areas, how can we be proponents of of connecting the the cities by train? You know, but I've traveled in Italy, which when you end up in the smaller towns of Italy, they don't have a lot of, there's not subways in those towns either. And yet it was a great way to travel around Italy. If I could do that here, I would do it in a minute. Because driving is exhausting, long trips. So how are you getting around in Italy? On foot? Yeah, or you take a cab, but yeah, a lot of foot. I mean, we do a lot of walking when we travel, and and, and I, that's jump because around. you're but there as a tourist. But if you're going to I do think Columbus on business, you don't want to be hoofing it around the city with carrying all your work gear, right? A lot depends on where the train station is. If the train station is close to the business and government center, then you could walk a few bucks. I don't know. I look if if I had a convenient way to avoid driving to Columbus, which is one of the worst drives you have to make. It's a road loaded with trucks getting in your way it's and you know it's just not a fun ride so if you could avoid that by getting in a train and it was convenient i would do it you know i would love to have the two hours to do stuff in the train it is they are generally more spacious and they have wi-fi and things that make life easier but all the you're raising good points i i don't know if it'll work and you know i go to columbus maybe once a year so <laughs> i'm not the market for this i do we'll think that see. the idea of making the train travel easier to chicago would be nice because that's a city that you can get there and just not need a car right and sure. the metropolitan area has much better um right options so i'd like to see that not 3 30 in the morning <laughs> yeah right, right. it's it's it, it just it's a big depends and then it's also going to depend on the cost if the train costs right. more than a plane you might take the plane i don't know air travel right now is absolutely no fun whatsoever so uh maybe this maybe this becomes the answer you're listening to today in ohio Is it possible that Ohio is part of what some are calling the pandemic's fifth wave and are the numbers rising again? Lisa, I saw a story this morning that said that the booster shot rates are highest in America where the the um, the experience of the virus is high, that that because in many of the conservative areas of the country, Governments have stopped the governors from being able to put in any precautions. The only tool people have available to them to protect themselves is the booster shot. So they're getting it in places like Kentucky. So what are we seeing in Ohio? 
Well, the trend is not good. It's actually trending upward. We had uh, 410 cases per 100,000 Ohioans this week, and that's up substantially from last week's numbers of 354 per 100,000. And this reverses a seven-week trend of continually declining COVID cases. So not looking great. But, you know, uh, last night on the news, they say the other states are... heading in the same direction. Colorado is one, California is another. Uh, The CDC says that anything above 100 cases per 100,000 people is high transmission. So we're really high at this point. Um, The Ohio Department of Health said that we have just just under 5,000 new cases this week, and that was above the average of like 3,763. So yeah, not looking good. I don't think we should put our masks away just yet, but we have seen a lot of booster shot activity here. We've had about 39,377 people have gotten booster shots in the last 24 to 36 hours, and so those numbers are already you know, uh, obsolete. And uh, we've had about 16,000 people receive their first vaccination doses here in Ohio in the same time period. The reasons for this increase are unclear. I mean, the Delta variant seems to have worn itself out. We haven't heard any of any new variants of concern so far. So they're kind of scratching their heads and wondering what's going on here. Although Laura and I were talking the other day, one thing that has happened is the the temperatures have dropped and we've gone back indoors and turned on the heat. And as we know, viruses spread when you do that every winter. And I wonder if that's a factor. It it really is exhausting. You know, if we have a fifth wave and it just keeps coming and coming and coming. Right. And you just keep counting up the waves or just realize that this is here to stay and you protect yourself as best as you can. Like Julie Washington is working on a story about this idea of forever COVID and looking back, you know, more than a century ago in Russia, what could have been the original cold uh, what they call the Russian flu. And it's just like, we're going to have to live with this. And it's just, how do you protect yourself and your family? And honestly, since my kids were able to get vaccinated this week, it's it's making that future just look so much calmer and more manageable. Except Although for I the people around you, you not getting mask. vaccinated. Yeah. I just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and there, look, there are people that have had it that thought they were protected that are getting sick, you know, sick and dying. I mean, it's, it, it's just a... It's a wearying thing, and we're heading into the holiday season where, where if we're on another rise, it'll right? Get and worse. nobody's, I mean, all the activities are back. You know, last year it was very quiet holiday season. Now I think we're going to be seeing a lot of indoor gatherings. People are going to have parties and share food, and and if they're not protecting themselves, like we could see a spike. Okay, you're listening to today in Ohio. Every year, it seems, people in Northeast Ohio tell each other that the leaves are dropping later each year. Laura, I know you're one of those. (laughs) I'm the naysayer saying it's doing the same thing it's always done. But what do we find out when we talk to experts? Yeah, I sound like a middle-ager where I'm like, when I was a kid, the leaves fell so much earlier. But (laughs) Pete Krause talked to a lot of people about this. And according to a Metro Parks expert he talked to, peak fall color was about the same about a day later than it was last year. But a bunch of others that he talked to said it is about a week later this year and that the leaves are staying on the trees longer because we've had such a nice fall with lots of rain, no big windstorms to knock them all off. So that foliage, that splendor has just stayed around a little bit longer. Um, A couple interesting things that are in his story was that peak color is about 
a week later than it was two decades ago. So I'm not imagining it. And the east side of Cleveland sees it three to five days earlier than the west side, at least this year, which I had no idea about. They don't know yeah, why. Because we just have a faster paced life over here. We don't relax <laughs> and goof off all the time. And the trees get that. Look, I, you know, I, 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 we talk about this every year. And I've got a gigantic oak tree in the, in the yard that's behind mine that never drops its leaves before December. So all the pickups are over <laughs> and all the leaves come down, you know, so I'm always raking when it's really cold outside. I just, it, it, I don't see it. it it's, I get that the idea that we don't have a lot of wind this year has kept the leaves on the trees longer. But I, I'm, I, the first person quoted in that story seemed to me to be the most sane about this. Because like, <laughs> he agreed with you. Well, he just says every year people say this stuff, but you know, it, you know, it, it, and part of it is if you're closer to the lake, the warmth of the mm-hmm. lake can help keep the the leaves on longer. And I, w- we drove out to uh, Squire's Castle to take the dog on a walk last weekend because people had posted pictures of how pretty it was. The leaves were down, and and then I come back to my house and I still have green leaves and. There, you know, there's very few down. So I, I think it part, and they said that there's microclimates and right. things that affect and it. And it depends on the kind of tree. If you have a, like a tree that's indigenous to that area or not, you know, elsewhere. Apparently this year, you, usually oak leaves go straight from green to brown. But this year, they're, the northern red oaks are taking their time and dancing in a yellow stage. So if you've noticed any pretty yellow oaks, that's pretty unusual. And we have been warmer than usual. Normally, we get our first freeze within the last week of October. We didn't get that until November 4th. Yeah, it, look, it's beautiful right now. There, there, there are different trees that are just glowing red. And I planted a sweet gum 20 years ago that's huge now. And the beauty of that one is it's not just one color. It turns every color, yellow, orange, purple, red, and it's coming into full color. So it's kind of fun. You know, you, we've had a, a – what one person said, that the conditions were perfect mm-hmm. this year for the beautiful fall, and it's been fun to – to and see it, we so. have some really great pictures on cleveland.com dave pekowitz took some or sorry it's actually josh josh gunther took them for the metro parks and then john panna has some aerial videos so if you haven't seen enough out your window you can go look on cleveland.com and it's a fully reported story that really gives you the oh, background of what's going on it's a great job it's not just a quick one source story pete went deep you are listening to today in ohio How are the partners in the innovation district that was touted anew this week by Ohio Governor Mike DeWine saying they will spend the state's $265 million contribution? Lisa, we asked this question when we talked about Mike DeWine being here Monday, so now we have the answer, but not really. (laughs) Well, I mean, we know what totals are, you know, certain groups are getting. I mean, Jobs Ohio has $110 million total that they're doling out. Forty-five million of that goes to the Cleveland Clinic. It's all about job creation, really, um, and that's adding to the Cleveland Clinic's three hundred million dollar Global Center for Pathogen Research and Human Health facility that they're building. That will create eighty-five hundred jobs and then two hundred jobs, two thousand rather job certifications. Metro Health gets ten million to create a hundred jobs. They're going to get eleven million for research development. UH and uh, Case Western Reserve are both getting $17.5 million. UH will create 100 new jobs and then $233 million in research-related development over the next decade. Uh, Case Western Reserve, that will add to uh, $175 million in research development. Cleveland State University will get $20 million, up to $20 million for commitment to 
getting 9,500 degrees for graduates and 3,500 certifications. So yeah, it's, it's a little more detail. It's not quite detailed. And also the state development department has 155 million that's going to the Cleveland clinic. And that includes, uh, a $35 million job creation tax credit to hire a thousand new people over the next seven years. So we're seeing some numbers about jobs that will be created with this money and also research development, but yeah, not a lot of detail more than we had, however. Yeah. It just feels very vague to me. I I can't see what the specifics are. It's odd that we can't get that, but we'll have to audit it at the end and see if they spent it on stuff that was helpful. You're listening to Today in Ohio, and that does it for another week of podcasts. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks to everybody who listens. We'll be back Monday to talk about the news.